0: Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm Eric Fisher. This is the podcast where I talk to the people behind the productivity. We don't just talk about how to be more effective and efficient, but how to do work with meaning and purpose, and in fact, how to do the work that you know you should be doing, not just in your business or in general, but that work on yourself, which then causes all the rest of the work to get done. This week, I'm talking with John Michael Morgan. This is one of my favorite conversations on this podcast, I just have to say. And Before we get into that conversation, I want to say thank you to Doodle for sponsoring this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Doodle is the place to go to get rid of the headache of scheduling your one-on-one and group meetings. Go to beyondthetodolist.com slash doodle to get started. All you need to do is create some times that work for you, send them over to all the different people that you want to attend that meeting, and they can all check what works for them. And suddenly, you're not playing ping pong back and forth via email or text or tweets or DMs, Facebook messages, etc. It's all in that one place. And it's awesome because then you take what the final result is and the decision is made for you. You don't have to play ping pong. Again, you know, Steve can't make that time. But anyway, go try it out. They even have free setups that you can get started with. They have personal branded pages called Meet Me. Go to beyondthetodolist.com slash doodle to get started. Thanks again to Doodle for sponsoring this episode. This week I get to welcome John Michael Morgan, I don't want to forget the Morgan – or the the Michael. Dang. <laughs> Great start, Eric. Not starting over. This week, I have John Michael Morgan. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me so, and for having all of my names. Yes. Uh, do you use the Michael that often? I, usually, I used to see it all over. Now I'm kind of seeing it less, but
1: uh, – If you're seeing it less, that's purely other people – Okay. Le- accidentally leaving it off, um, yeah, because I do use it everywhere.
0: I think there's an alliteration to it, so I like it. Use it. John um, Morgan is one thing. John Michael Morgan commands more attention, and that's right. Well, and I graduated high school with like three other John Morgans, oh, so
1: yeah, you know, it's like yeah, you got to throw the Michael in there to stand out.
0: That's 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 branding against the machine. Th- that's right. That's <laughs> my only tip. Which <laughs> use, to be use your middle name disclaimer, like. I don't even care if we talk about the book, but you should go get it. <laughs> <Like this laughs> yeah, is, let's – I would prefer us not to talk about it. Good. Okay. So disclaimer, John Michael Morgan has written an excellent book called Branding Against the Machine. It's uh, what, bestseller status and all that kind – You know, all the accolades are there. If you haven't read it, you should go read it, but we're not going to talk about it. We're going to talk about other interesting things. Yes. How's that for the beginning of a podcast episode?
1: That may be the worst way to promote a book of all time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know is... what though? I think it's almost also the best way. Because if they like you and they're like, Man, I want more of this guy, they'll go to your site. They'll say, Oh, he's got a book too. All right, I'll grab it. You know? Yeah. It's oh, the I other agree. way around. I, I agree. Absolutely. So you're one of those people that uh I've not had a lot of interaction with online, but I've done a lot of stalking. And I mm. guess that's weird to confess on a podcast. But Sure. Um I I got to know of you through say Scott Stratton um who else bald dude canadian what's his name marketer Pick Mitch Joel bit. Mitch Joel jeez I had his name earlier uh sorry Mitch um and a number of others that probably seen <laughs> Chapman basically <laughs> the
1: way you describe Mitch has nothing to do with his <laughs> books or career accolades he's the bald guy in Canada he's the bald canadian marketer yeah.
0: The only one. Yes. Um, You know that bald guy in Canada? Mitch Joel. Yes. (laughs) So I knew of you. I knew they all liked you. I liked them. So by association, I was like, oh, this guy must be cool. And I started following your stuff and and all that and and just knew you were a solid guy from everybody else. So then it was cool finally to uh, meet up a couple weeks ago down at Craft Content in Nashville where you're based – and you, you did a keynote, and you said something, you said a lot of great stuff, first off, but the thing that you said that suddenly, because I'd wanted you on the show for a long time, but the thing that you said that suddenly struck me as, oh, now I know my angle to have a conversation with you that would be recorded, was you said that you were running a business out of your house with a six-year-old and a three-year-old with no door on your office, and you were reading two books a week, and I said, there you go. There's the thing. People want to know how the heck you're doing that. So right. let's start there, but then go everywhere else. <laughs> okay. Let's do it, man. I love it. Um, and for context, is that an exaggeration or no? No. In fact,
1: I uh, after I said that, I was thinking that I actually downplayed how many books I read. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so so uh, you're actually better. Yeah, I, be I, I will say that since you saw me speak at that event – Uh, My daughter just a few days ago turned four. So it's now a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Nice. Uh, So that's the only change.
0: Okay. Oh, and let's add to the mix the fact that you just uh, celebrated your 13-year anniversary.
1: Yes, 13 years married, uh, 18 years together total. Um, Yeah, we met in high school. So we've been together like half of our lives now.
0: So let's do that. Let's do this actually. Let's do the this is your life. Let's go back to the the early – time uh, what were you like in high school when you met your wife later, and, and kind of the path to where you 're at now, because I think that's the interesting thing is a lot of people you didn't take a traditional path to get where you 're at
1: no cert- certainly not i, I don 't think I 've done any of the steps that most people kind of think that they should do, uh, and it 's funny that you say to start there and what I was like because you don 't know this, but I was a mess in fact, uh, when I was a teenager, when I met you know, the lady who would become my wife, I was extremely depressed, struggling with suicidal thoughts, low self-esteem, just, you know, I went from making straight A's to then just, you know, failing every class because I didn't care, Uh, you know, pushing away friends. It was just this really strange and dark time. And I was struggling and I prayed a lot. And, you know, I was praying for like, give me something to fight for kind of a thing. And then I met her. And I mean, instantly, man, like the first time we talked on the phone, I told her right then that we were going to get married, which she was not into. Like, you know, she wasn't (laughs) feeling the same thing. uh, Let me say, but, you know, I didn't scare her off. And it was, you know, she had helped me through that and always something, she always saw something in me that obviously I couldn't see in myself, but she was always pushing me to not just, you know, like, let's be, you know, average. It was, you know, no, no, like, let's go be great. Like you're destined for something great. Mm -hmm. And so that really helped. So what ended up happening is, um, I had always sort of had this, um, I guess I should say interest sort of in marketing and and those kind of things and not in a, I want to go out and make a bunch of money sort of way. I was more interested in the behavior. Like it's fascinating to me that someone can say, okay, I want to get a complete stranger to take this specific action. How do I do that? You know, like that sort of mad scientist part of it just always sort of interested me. And so, as a teenager I you know sold magazines and did you know some different little stuff like that I sold uh, bootleg CDs from you know bands like Nirvana and you know Pearl Jam things like that and you know none of this of course with a goal of I'm going to go be an entrepreneur, run my own business and all of that. Uh, I attempted college for an extremely short time, uh, like one day and (laughs) realized that that was not for me. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'd rather be out already doing something, but I had no idea what to do. And so during this time, I kind of wasted a lot of time, didn't do a whole lot. And my wife and I were supposed to be, you know, getting married soon. And so the family was kind of looking at me like, when are you going to graduate college? Because they had no idea I had stopped going. And <laughs> it was like, you know, I got to find something to do. And then my wife said, hey, why don't you, you know, try to sell real estate? Like, you you like people, you're good at sales. Like, let's, you know, why don't you do that? And when I looked that up, I saw that you know some real estate agents you know wore nice suits, drove nice cars. I said, "Sure, let's do that." I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> so I started in that business, but this is where this was all going somewhere. I should say it was during that time that I realized it did not matter what strategies I was implementing, like if I was messed up in the head. I was going to mess up the strategies, you know, so I started to realize I needed to work on myself more if I wanted the business to be better. But I also realized, Eric, that no one was calling me, no one cared. And so I had to figure out marketing and sales and those things. Now, fast forward a few years later, all of a sudden I'm busy and I'm, you know, selling houses a lot and I'm realizing I don't like to be the one doing this. You know, I like to run it, but I don't want to be the one actually running out and having to do this. So I started to build a team around me. And so fast forward to the productive part. Um, the last two years of that business, I had a team underneath me. I was generating leads, handing them off to them, training them how to convert them, and then they were going out. So last two years of that business, I wasn't meeting clients face-to-face at all. And so I did that for a long time. While I was doing that, I started doing what I'm doing now, which is you know speaking and helping other entrepreneurs.
0: Interesting. So, what time, uh, what time frame was this? When? What year? Uh, the real estate thing was two thousand two to two
1: thousand eight, and oh, you started, got out
0: right before the crash.
1: Yeah, it looks genius, but it was all just a, a coincidence. <laughs> I'm I'm afraid to say. Um, somebody told me the other day, like, not to tell people that it was an a happy accident, but uh, it feels weird to be like, oh yeah, I knew this was coming. You, you know, I got out. Uh, no, that wasn't the case at all. What had happened is I woke up one day and realized that I was making more money doing what I'm doing today than I was in the real estate business. Uh, Even though that business was great and, you know, doing well, you know, speaking and and consulting was, you know, what I enjoyed doing and then was also making more money. So the thing about all of this is during this entire time, not only did I never have a job, uh, you know, actually working for someone, I've always worked from home, which I think, you know, not a lot of people – you know, have had that. So um, to me, that's a little interesting. It's a little boring, but uh, I've been used to that part. So when people talk about the distractions from working at home, and I don't know if you want us to go into that, but we certainly can, you know, I have adapted along the way because I never, like to me, there was never another choice, right? Like to me, working from home is the goal.
0: Yeah. Well, so you started there, you kept going that way. And then with each new change that was, Interjected, you know, six years ago, four years ago, with your new kids and all that, and new, you know, and with speaking, we didn't even throw that into the mix. Where you were just out in one of my favorite places, San Diego. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, getting get to travel a lot, which is fun, especially when I can bring, you know, the family with me. And uh, in that one, San Diego, we left the kids at home, brought my wife, which is, you know, actually more awesome when the kids stay at home and, and we get to go. Uh, so, yeah, it's so it's a lot of fun. And you're, you're right. So working from home. You know, the early on, the biggest challenge was getting my friends and family to understand that I'm still working. Mm. You know, because they know that you're at home, and so you know, my granddad thought that he could just show up whenever and talk to me about golf. And it's like, dude, like I'm supposed to be working. You you know, my mom would just you know randomly call you know four or five times throughout the day to talk about who knows what. It's like, okay, that's great, but you're not calling my brother because he's at work. I'm actually at work as well, you know. So, trying to you know sort of train and get them to understand that part. It was like John works from home; he's not doing anything. He's always available.
0: Was it you just know. a time thing? I mean, how did you train them?
1: Uh, I put a note on the door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that was one thing. Uh, you know, a huge do not disturb, you know, kind of thing. And then also, it was just telling them. You know, and just explaining to them, one of the things that sort of helped me with that is I do a lot of consulting. So I'm doing what you and I are doing right now basically all day long. I'm just talking to people. And so I was able to explain to them, listen, when you come by or when you call, I may be on the phone. And that person's paying me to be on the phone with me. So I can't put them on hold to go talk to you. Yeah, And so explaining that to them finally made them realize, oh, okay, like we got to leave him alone. And now they never talk to me.
0: So they, I mean, if they kept, I mean, if they heard your warning, but then still kind of forgot about it, maybe, and then stopped by to, to talk golf or something, and then realized, oh, he's on the phone, they'd start to see that more often, and then realize, oh, what he was saying was true. He really is working. Good for him. <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and it took a little bit of, uh, you know, being very disciplined
1: on this, of knowing someone's at my door and I'm not answering. And I know that they know I'm home. <laughs> right? <laughs> but but I'm still not answering. You know, and then later, you know, getting the phone call from them, Hey, we came by and me saying, Yeah, I was working, I can't can't come to the door.
0: Yeah. Well that's also good for Salesmen and Jehovah's Witnesses
1: as well. Well, that, yeah, that's another thing as well. Is that, you know, you get that share of things of you know people who just come by. It's amazing how often people do come by during the day, and um, that's you know another great you know element of it is hey, just you know making sure that is we have a big playground out back for the kids, and we had a guy there working on it yesterday, like building this like bottom deck area thing for them. And, you know, I immediately, when I knew he was on his way, you know, like I threw up a note on the back door because I know this guy and I knew he'd want to talk, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen him in a few years. So I was like, dude, I can't. So I just put up a huge sign that says recording. He has no idea what I do for a living. <laughs> so <laughs> I just figured the word recording sounds scary enough, like don't knock, yeah, uh, you know, to, to have that time. And, and, and that's the thing. And, you know, I, I'll also say that while you know I thoroughly enjoy working from home, getting out every now and then is nice as well. So because I write a lot and blog posts and you know books and th- things of that nature, uh, when I can, if I'm not like scheduled to do calls and you know things like this, I then go and I'll work from a coffee shop. You know, maybe it's an afternoon or, you know, something like that. Uh, But I do that for a few reasons. One, it breaks up my schedule, right? I can kind of get out and, you know, see people a little bit. And then the second thing is it kind of gives my wife a break of, you know, she's at home all day with the kids and she homeschools our six-year-olds. So it kind of gives them that freedom then if they want to do something, you know, kind of crazy and loud, they can. And that helps as well.
0: Yeah. My wife says the same thing. She's like, All right, it's good to know that, you know, you've scheduled this time where you're out of the house late afternoon after the kids and her are back home. And I've been home all day working. And then I leave and go do work elsewhere. And then they don't have, she doesn't have that load, that burden of, I've got to keep the kids quiet at the like hardest time of the day to keep them quiet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and
1: I'll say I, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I, I like a flexible schedule, but I also chunk my tasks together. So let's say that on Thursdays I do, you know, some client calls. I try to do that all day Thursday, right? you know, just back to back to back. And that means that on Wednesday and Monday and Tuesday, I may not have any, which means on those days, the kids kind of know, Yeah, we can come in and, you know, talk to daddy if we need to or, you know, that kind of stuff. And then they know, okay, like my kids are sort of trained to know that if, you know, mom or I say daddy's going to be on the phone, they know what that means. Yeah. And they you know, they know not to bother. And we've sort of developed this uh, kind of rule that was a happy accident that if daddy's got earphones in, then he's on a call. Which oh, isn't always yeah. true, but that's well, like kind of their sign, right? Because like uh, like you said before, I don't have an office on my door, and the other thing you mean is, a door on your office. Oh yeah, sorry, don't that, have a door on my office. A weird mental picture. Oh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, we have a very strange office. Um, my I work on a door, uh, so no door, <laughs> and where my desk sits, my back is facing the door, so or the opening, I guess I should say. So the kids can kind of come up behind me without me knowing, and so the earphones make a big difference because if they see that, they know, all right, we've got to leave them alone. Right. If they don't see that I've got earphones in, then they can come you know, shoot me with a Nerf gun or whatever it may be.
0: Well, that's great because then you can, even if you're not on a call, have those in and be listening to something music-wise or something else and give that signal to them. That's right. And so now what happens, Eric, is I'm disciplined
1: on that stuff. So I know if I'm writing, I'm, I'm going to do exactly what you said. You know, I'm going to be listening to music, doing something, letting them know don't bother me because you know, I'm deep in thought. And But then also it's up to me to decide when I'm doing some things of, you know what, if I was interrupted right now, it's okay. And let them have those moments because yeah. part of the reason that I work from home is because – My dad growing up, you know, he owns his own business was always gone day and night. And I didn't want that. And I knew I didn't want that before I had kids. And so I want them to be able to come in and, you know, show me, you know, their drawings and, you know, ask me a question, show me, you know, a Lego tower they built or whatever. Right. Like I want that. So it's me finding that balance between knowing when will a distraction annoy me and when will it be, oh, yeah, this is why I work from home. And, you're, and so you're dictating that, that. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I'm completely, uh, you know, trying to consciously be aware of that, you know, at different times because I, I don't want it to be once daddy's working, never ever come bother him.
0: Otherwise, you know, why am I at home? Exactly. Well, that's one of the things that just when I started working at home, it's been a year now, and you know, you hear the the glamorous life of work from home, make tons of money, and all this other stuff, and see your family, you know, it's the, the the promises, the benefits that everybody touts as why they want to do that, the flexibility, the the ability to see family, the ability to, you know, work from anywhere, home or otherwise. But then suddenly, it's like, okay, leave me alone. I'm I'm here, but I'm not here. And it's like, you just sacrificed everything to do it, to be in that position. And now you're sacrificing the things you did it for as well.
1: <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> right. I think that's, that may be one of the most common things I see about people who want to work from home or who do. Uh, I've got clients, you know, who will tell me, hey, I just rented this office space. It's, you know, $3,000 a month because I can't get anything done at home. And I'm like, that's BS. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're just doing it wrong. And, you know, listen, I, I do understand that, you know, I've got a couple of fortunate things going for me in that, uh, you know, one, my wife is really, really good at, you know, if I need the kids away and not to bother me, she's good at you know, keeping them away. And then also the fact that I've been doing this since pre-kids. So, you know, my world didn't stop when I had kids, right? They had to come fit into our world, right? You know, yeah. so they grew up with daddy works from home, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, they, they so- don't
0: know anything different for their own life. I mean, their friends <laughs> may have fatherhood that's different, but that's not their reality. That's Never right. Never yeah, that's exactly right.
1: And I think that, you know, gives me an advantage obviously because they've, you know, been able to figure out the rules, you know, sort of uh you know along you know with it as they're, you know, growing up. And it's great. And look, it, I'm not also going to sit here and act like it's always perfect. Yesterday I was in the middle of doing a client call my daughter was supposed to be taking a nap, snuck out of her room, and she came in and you know the more I'm like waving my arms for her to leave, the more she's laughing. You know, because it's hysterical that yeah. you know <laughs> I want to leave. And you know, the thing about that also is like you talk about okay, kind of training the kids and training the family that I'm working from home. The other side of this, Eric, and I feel like a lot of people miss this, is training your clients. Oh. I let yeah. every client I know uh, or, sorry, every client I have know right up front, I work from home and I've got two kids, which means at some point in time, we're going to do a call and you're going to hear something. Whether it's laughing, screaming, crying, you know, You and, and I just promise them, listen, it's not a distraction to me. Don't let it be a distraction to you. And guess what, Eric? Here's the thing. And I've got clients who are, you know, executives of some major, major, you know, brands and companies. None of them care because they all love it. They're wanting to do that. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? They're like, I wish I was at home right now or, you know, they're they're at home themselves and I can hear their kids and that kind of stuff. And so that's the thing also is I don't need to put this pressure on myself or then let's say my wife of, okay, uh, you know, I'm getting on a call. Hundred percent silence. You know, everyone stopped living, you know, for the next 30 minutes. Like that's not the case. You know, life happens. And so I let the clients know that right up front and it rarely happens. But when it does, I'm not sweating it because they know.
0: My, uh, my embarrassing story, which really wasn't embarrassing. Um, it was just, just surprising about six months ago. I'm on a, I'm in a meeting with about three, four other people on a call, Skype call. And, uh, my son, who at the time was not potty trained, but is now, he, he walks in. He just opens the door, walks in and says, Dad, I pooped. <laughs> and, every, and and we were at the end of the meeting anyway, but someone said, well, Eric, sounds like you've got something to take care of. <laughs> <laughs> and it really just it broke the ice. I was like, you know what? This is going to happen. You're right. I mean, it is going to happen. There's inevitability that if you are at home and there are others there. You just it's gonna happen and and I think that having that mindset of it's not causing friction, it may be a small inconvenience, but it's not you know causing friction and and you even anticipate it and and just set it up so that it doesn't become an issue man that's right and, and when
1: i mentioned before that i you know sort of chunk my schedule together here's another thing on wednesdays my kids go to my mom's because it's her time to just sort of hang out with them and everything and i know that if there's anything like a video or whatever that i'm wanting to do where i need 100% silence i schedule it for wednesdays You know, I I then have that sort of freedom to do. So that's the great thing about being self-employed and every single week dictating my own schedule. I'm figuring that out, right? You know, I'm laying out what times things need to be. And then the way my wife and I do this is in our kitchen, we have this little whiteboard that's got, you know, pre-written on it, um, you know, every day of the week. And I write my schedule up there. So that she can see it, the family sort of knows this is what it is, and she can then see, okay, Friday afternoon, he's got a lot of calls. Or, you know, Tuesday, we can do whatever because he's got nothing on the board. You know, that kind of stuff. And so that helps us a lot, just communication. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> just letting you know each other know. Uh, you know, she may come to me and say, hey, listen, I've got someone coming over. I need you to either be out of the house or prepare that it's going to be loud. You know, and I'm like, okay, I can adjust my schedule accordingly. Same thing with her, as I can come and say, you know what? I gotta do this. It's super important. Why don't you get the kids out of the house?
0: I'm totally stealing that idea. That's a great idea. I need I that's like the next step in our We're having we're having better communication about things and we've got I'm I'm doing some of the time chunking and, and I know which days, you know, people are here versus aren't. Most days there's a certain line in the day after school where it's like, okay, I really Either that's the time where it's okay that they come in or I need to el- go elsewhere depending upon what's what's my task for that chunk of time. But, uh, yeah, the board, having that just out there and locked in like, oh, okay, I've got the, the – as, as David Allen would put it, the horizon uh, for the week out there. So I'm stealing it.
1: You should. It, it really – like, I mean, it makes – it saves my wife and I a lot of time just discussing what's going on during the week. Um, you know, the only thing now is when she gets upset because I forget to write stuff on the board.
0: Yeah, but um, I'm, a, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not, this is, I mean, you said it's not perfect. Obviously, even yesterday, your, your daughter came in and was, and you were waving at her. Um, so it's never going to be perfect, but that's okay. But I think that there's a certain amount of preparation. To to get to the point where you're at now and and have been doing this from home, um, there's there's you're a dev- you're a very different person. Here's the best way to put it: you're a very different person right now than you were in high school. That depressed person who was praying for you know a reason to live, basically, and you started to improve yourself. Let's let's go back to that journey a little bit. I think that's kind of an interesting piece because I personally identify with that. So that's really cool for me, but I think a lot of the people listening right now, they wonder how that. How did you get from other than just you know winning over your wife and her seeing something in you? How did you get to the point where you knew you could do that? You know what I mean, like mm-hmm. confidence wise and reading all the yeah. books and everything.
1: That's a great question. So. First, let me start by saying for everyone listening to this who may be you, you're like yourself, you said you, know, you relate to that. I don't want to at all make it seem like I'm not today struggling with self-doubt and you know those kind of things. I do. I either wake up and feel like I'm the best in the world at what I do and I know that or I wake up and want to sit in the corner and cry and wonder, you know, why am I even doing this, right? Like there's – you know we all have that at every level but let me also just say like it's a, you'd be amazed at how many people i coach who you know are very publicly like super confident and then they get on the phone with me and it's you know tears and you know, all of that so you know even now it's something i work on it's something i have to work on because for whatever reason my default setting is not to just wake up and be super happy it's just not. And so I have to kind of do some things to get there, right? So going back to the time period you're talking about, uh yeah, you know, I mean it was funny because I was asking, you know, for Christmas, uh you know, for Tony Robbins personal power cassette tapes. You know, and my parents were <laughs> like, "You're so weird. <laughs> this is this is not normal." And, and which you know, it was Obviously not normal, but it was, you know, reading stuff like Think and Grow Rich and, you know, Tony Robbins material and just that kind of stuff. All that did, it gave me some how-to, but I wasn't actually implementing it. But what had happened is it was giving me hope. It was giving me this like, oh, one day this is going to be great. And one day I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that and, you know, it's going to be wonderful. Even though I had no idea how I would get there or exactly what it would look like it started to build in hope. And another thing that became very very critical for me Eric was it's really really hard. First of all, you know, just being someone with depression is very lonely, but then also if you're an entrepreneur, that's kind of lonely. And one of the things that I realized was my environment, my social circle of friends were not ones that were really helping me along the way in terms of what I was struggling with. And they weren't naturally uplifting and, you know, those kind of things. And so I had to make this hard decision of I got to cut some people out of my life. And that scared me because that meant being more alone, which, you know, is not a good thing. But it also had to happen if I was ever going to allow space for someone positive to come into my life. And and so that was and that's something I'm still very, very cautious about today. I'm a big believer that, you know, the people that we're talking to regularly, the people we're following online, by the way, you know, all of that's having an impact on us, whether we realize it or not. And so, you know, sometimes if I'm like, I feel really down this week, I'll take a look back at, you know, the kind of conversations and stuff I had. And a lot of times I can see why, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, no wonder, you know, I feel like crap because I, you know, read people's political thoughts on Facebook and, you know, the world's ending and, you know, all that, right. (laughs) Like it doesn't take much, you know, for, for those, you know, sort of triggers to happen. Right. So what ended up happening then was I had to, at some point come to this conclusion of, okay, I'm trying to fix myself. I know I'm the problem. That's kind of good news, kind of bad news. You, You know, the good news about that is, you know, if I fix me, I'm good. Like life is awesome. The bad news is, why do I have to be the problem? And then there's this pity party of, why me? And why am I not normal? And you know all of those kind of questions, which are all, of course, negative self-talk that doesn't help you find any kind of good answer. So I, I had this quote, the Zig Ziglar quote of, "If you help enough people get what they want, you'll get everything that you want." And I loved Zig Ziglar, but I always thought that quote was complete crap. <laughs> I thought, you know, there's no like that makes no. Since And I was sitting there saying it's BS because I'm spending years trying to help people and I'm still not hitting my goals and I'm still not becoming who I want to be. And I don't even know who I want to be. And, you know, Zig Ziglar was great, but he was wrong on that. Like I just continued to have that. And then one of the things that happened, Eric, is I was at a hotel in Chicago about to go on to speak to a very large audience. And I was nervous and I was overcome with self-doubt. And as I'm sitting there and I'm sort of praying through that, I started thinking, if this helps just one person, it's worth it. Like if everyone else hates me, but one person says, dude, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. Thank you. Like I would truly feel fulfilled by that. And what happened, Eric, is as I started thinking about the audience, I wasn't nervous anymore because I'm not thinking about whether or not I'm going to fall off stage or say something stupid. I'm thinking about them. And the moment that clicked of, it's not about me, it's about them, all of a sudden, I understood the Zig Ziglar quote. All of a sudden, I was able to sort of apply this to everything I do and realize, you know what? Yes, I need to work on myself, and yes, I need to get better. But whenever I'm sitting there beating up on myself, that's a sign of I'm being selfish because it's not about me. You know, how often do we, you know, think – oh, I can't tweet this because what if no one likes it? Or what if no one likes this blog post or whatever? What if someone does? You know what I mean? Like, like, what if someone listens to your podcast and says, I'm changing something. I'm changing my life. Now my family's better, My better dad, better wife, uh, better mom, better sister, better brother. You know what, right? Like, there's all, like, and you may never know that, but you have to trust that that's possibly happening. And so then it's not about, you know, do I sound dumb on the podcast? Do I, you know, write, am I a bad writer? Or what if, you know, I don't sell this many books? Or, you know, whatever someone's going through, stop that kind of thought process because you're not going to come up with a good answer, for one thing, right? (laughs) And and the second thing is, it's just a sign of you're putting way too much focus on yourself. Let me stop for a minute because I have no idea if any of that made sense.
0: No, totally. I I mean, I'm following right along. My thought is, is then somebody who is a marketer and a coach and says, well, my who, – quote, who believes the lie? Let me put it this way. Someone believes the lie as a marketer or a coach that, well, people don't know who I am or they don't know of my stuff or they didn't like my stuff. That means I have no worth and that's just a lie. Hmm. So – Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, because here, here's the thing is we're the worst judges of ourselves possible. And so we shouldn't even try, right? It's amazing how much we get mad at someone on the outside who critiques us and we call them a hater and we want to, you know, talk about all the ways to overcome that and we don't realize that we are a
0: hater of ourselves. or well, critic we, of ourselves. We, yeah, the worst hater about ourselves is ourselves. Th- that, that's right. It's always going to be true. Yeah, and,
1: and yet we never allow that to bother ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if someone else says, Eric, I don't like your podcast. You know, you get defensive. Maybe your feelings get hurt, but you're like, you know, screw them. This many people like it, whatever. But if you said to yourself, oh, that wasn't good you're not going to fight yourself and say that's ridiculous you're going to say oh i know and you're going to start looking for every reason to confirm that <laughs> right yeah. and, and that's exactly where we are our own worst enemy and, and that's that's the thing that we have to think of you know if we're a marketer if we're a coach if we're you know doing this kind of stuff listen if you're doing it and you've got you know I, i'm not trying to get religious on people but i, I will say this uh, god or whatever you know type of whatever that you believe in did not give you ambition And then not going to show you the skill set to do it, right? Because that's a mean, mean trick, right? You know, here, want this really bad your entire life, but I'm never going to show you how to achieve it. Like, that's not the case. And so if you're wanting to coach people because you've got this heart to help people and this heart to serve, then that's what it's about, and work on that. Work on your craft. Eric, I can't tell you. You probably know this uh, as well as anyone because of all the people that you talk to and interview. There are so many coaches or gurus out there who've never once stopped and learned, how do I actually speak to people? Meaning, you know, okay, I've got some ideas I can coach them on, but how do I communicate that in a way that they understand it? They never do that. I've been coaching people since 2002. And from 2002 to 2005, that's all I worked on. You know, was okay, if I tell them to implement this strategy this way, do they do it or do I need to reword it this way? You know, testing those kind of things. Instead, everyone just thinks, I know marketing, I'll be a marketing coach. Okay, fine. That's, you know, well and good. But do you know how to communicate your expertise? (laughs) Because <laughs> that's part of being a good coach. No one ever asked that question, which is maybe for a different podcast and a whole yeah. different rant. That's a whole but other. It's, it's,
0: I think I was talking. Yeah. To some, yeah, I was talking to somebody recently, and there was this whole thing about uh, you know that whole quote: "Those that can't do, teach, but don't tell that to a teacher." <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and, and that and that's the thing. Also, is okay. Let's
1: follow this along. And if you're listening to this and you're not a coach, just plug in the word "coach" for whatever it is you do. You get a lot of people out there who just are professional students you know they read all the books they read all the blog posts they listen to all the podcasts and over time they say i know more than most people let me go and be a coach well that's fine to an extent but what's going to make you different you know so i mean i have that you know, when people come up to me and they say okay what makes you different well what makes me different is that i won't teach it unless i've tried it myself and that has cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars. It has cost me embarrassment. It has cost me a lot of stuff. But I will only teach what I have tested and proven myself. And so that becomes one of the ways, say, that I'm different. Now, what happens though is that takes, you know, just this like, not confidence, but this desire of this is the way I want to help people. So I get frustrated by the coaches out there who are talking about something and I know they've never tried it or I know that it actually didn't work for them, but they're still talking about it. You know, I saw someone and I won't mention their name cause they're really popular in the space, but they one time did a talk at an event, Eric called how to make six figures a year blogging. And they did this talk and the whole time they had a nine to five day job. They weren't making six figures a year blogging. Jeez. And I'm just like, you know, why, why are you doing that talk? Like, you know, what's, like what is in your mind that makes you think that's okay, <laughs> right? You know. So I, I think that's another part of it is we we can be confident in our work when we have confidence in the fact of we believe in what we're putting out there. And, and a lot of people don't. And so on the marketing side, let me also just say that if you don't one hundred percent believe in the book you've written, you're not gonna market it the same way subconsciously, you will trip yourself up and sabotage yourself along the way. If you create a course or a product or you know a service, whatever it may be, if there's any part of your mind that feels like it's not 100% incredible, you're going to
0: sabotage the way you sell it every single time. Oh, that's interesting. So it's almost like there's a way to market things that is not hollow. It, it's... It's solid through and through because it's been tried and it's been tested like you're saying and there's a – there's an authenticity to it which breeds a, a confidence in it, in an, in the thing that you are quote-unquote selling because you know it without doubt. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I mean I, I tell
1: people a lot that you want to have this approach of you're stupid if you don't buy this. You don't want to say that, you know, necessarily, unless that's your brand. Scott Stratton could say that, you know, he, he could get away with it, yeah. right? You know, but, but that's, but you want you want that level of confidence in your product or service because people pick up on that. If you don't believe in it, how can you expect someone else to believe in it? You know th- think about, and it's dude, it's so cliche to mention Steve Jobs and Apple, and I'm not even a Steve Jobs fan by the way I'm an Apple fan, but I'm not specifically a Steve Jobs fan, but here's the thing when the iPad came out and Twitter goes nuts like who needs this, how does this fit in? you know who's gonna use it, and a stupid name <laughs> and, and, and a stupid name and all of that, but he's on stage saying it's this one hundred percent confidence, and I'll be damned if I don't have two iPads yep. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. And so we have to believe in what we're actually selling, whether again, whether it's a product or service, you know, irrelevant. You have to believe in that. You have to then also believe in yourself because we're always selling ourselves. I can tell by the way people write when they're posting on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or these things. I can tell who's confident and who's not. You can just tell by the phrasing whether or not, you know, when they're teaching something, how secure they are in that belief you know i want to stand on stage and have it where whatever i say someone could absolutely come up and try to argue with me on any point i'm gonna win because i believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything i'm saying on that stage every tip strategy uh, you know method point whatever you want to call it that every single one of them are bulletproof
0: i don't think there's a lot of people out there that can say that though I don't think there's – I don't think that there's people – everybody – this is another quote actually. I, I've got this right here in front of me that uh, you said down in Nashville when I saw you was um, most people want to be successful, but they don't want to become successful. Mm-hmm. In other words, they want the success, but they don't want to do the hard work that changes themselves in, on the road to that success. Right. Yeah. So let's break this down because
1: here's an example. Someone is listening to this right now saying, oh, great for those guys. I couldn't work from home when they've never tried it. So now you're a liar because you don't know if you could work from home or not because you haven't actually attempted it because you're not willing to step out of that comfort zone to even try it. You know, there's other people who don't want to give up the amount of TV that they watch to do some of the work that needs to be done. Right. You know, those kind of things, Uh, you know, put in the work. Eric, I know that you do a ton of work outside of the conversation you and I are having now to make this podcast happen. And people are a lot of people want a successful podcast like you've got, but they're not willing to do that behind the scenes work. Right. They just want to hit record and talk. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? They just want the reviews. They want the subscribers and all of that. They don't want to think, you know, editing. I don't want to edit. You know, just you know, all, all that different stuff. Like you know, that whole probably you were talking in Nashville about you know what it looks like the the, you know, the hours involved. People aren't willing to do that. You know, they're they're just not. Um, you know, there are people out there who want to be a best selling author, but they're not willing to work on whether or not they're a good writer. Yeah, you, you know, and that kind of stuff. They're not willing to put themselves out there uh, to market it. You know, that's another big thing. You know, listen, people, every one of us are salesmen. You know, we all have to sell something. We all have to sell ourselves. You know, if I want to eat pizza tonight, I've got to sell my wife on that, right? You know, I've got to, you know, do that. We, we all need to be good at sales, but we don't want to put in the work. You know, we don't want to work on you know those skills, right? We don't want to work on that stuff. And so that's the thing. You know, people will create a great product or service, and they want it to make a lot of money, but then they're not willing to, you know, do the marketing. Or they're not willing to put themselves out there. So it, it ends up being all about, you know, as simple as and difficult as the comfort zone. You know, people get in their daily routine, their weekly behaviors, and they get in that so tight that they're unwilling to then get out of it. So they want to succeed without making any change, and that's insanity.
0: Yeah. Well, it comes back to – in other words, and this is why I wanted to go into that, You know, what was the process like from you know high school to where you're at now and, and beyond, is this idea that in order to do good work, you need to work on yourself. And that also the, there's that equation of working on yourself equals that you are working on your business.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I I know that the more I work on myself, the more my business is going to improve. You know, it's we've heard this before about self-improvement. Our inner world reflects our outer world and all of that. And, And it comes down to being as simple as, listen, if you want your business to be better, you have to be better because you're the one implementing the stuff in the business. So it has to be, you know, better. If you want, you know, more Facebook, you know, fans, you've got to be better at Facebook. If you want, you know, more Twitter followers, you've got to be better at Twitter. If you want more books to be sold, you've got to be better at writing and better at marketing your book and, and marketing yourself and your brand and, you know, those kind of things. Like, it, it's it's – that is all where it starts. I mean, imagine, Eric, if you were in a bad mental space and every time you got on to interview people, you you, know, you just sort of have this attitude, right? It, you know, just negative questions or you don't really care or whatever, the podcast isn't going to be successful because you're not right. You know, your headspace is then messed up, (laughs) you know? yeah. So we, we have to understand that it all starts with us. So many times we're waiting for everything on the outside to change. And then we say, then I'll change. And that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works at all. You know, everything in our life, like every relationship we've got, uh, every situation that we're in and our art and our work and, and our family and our friends, everything we it starts with us. And we have to take that personal accountability and responsibility to say, "Okay, my life right now, for good or for worse, is my fault. (laughs) You know that like – this is on me. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Earl Nightingale who said that every person is self-made but only the successful will admit it. And and I love that because it sums up so beautifully what you and I are talking about right now.
0: Yeah. So somebody who wants to be self-made and and they hear us talking about this and they say, yeah, you know, I'm not – Totally comfortable with where I'm at, but maybe I'm not uncomfortable enough. you know what I mean how How do we give them some kind of a, a hope or an encouragement or in other words how do we how do we kick them in the pants to start moving? You know that's a great question because they've got to get you know
1: fed up right they've got to get uncomfortable with being comfortable <laughs> you know, they, they've got to you know get get you know sick and tired of it and, and decide okay some things are going to change now the first way to do that is to adjust and raise your standards so what happens there because a lot of times we just accept things on a very low standard scale so let's keep using you in this podcast as an example you know maybe you get you know a certain number of reviews and you say oh that's really cool i'm, I'm glad i you know, that people are liking it, that that's awesome. But what if your standard was higher? What if, you know, three reviews this week wasn't acceptable? What if it needed to be five? You know, what would you then do differently, right? And, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, that, that's the thing that we have to, to think about is too often what we gauge success on is a low standard. And then we look back and say, I'm not really hitting my goals. Well, it's because you're accepting too little, You know, those kind of things. I know people who say, uh, you know, the the classic, I want to make $100,000 a year. Like, that's, you know, the big goal that a lot of people have. Okay, wonderful, fantastic goal. Nothing wrong with that. But then they turn around and they'll be, hey, I just got this project and it's an easy project and they're paying me, you know, $300. Isn't that cool? Not if you're wanting to make $100,000 a year. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, well, why is that acceptable? Right? You you know, so that's the first place to start is, okay, we have to look at just what we're accepting in our life and change those standards oh. and raise that and again uh, for you know if you're in business uh, you know and your social media let's say for example is you know something that you do a lot of what's your standard there like how are you gauging those results and and how do you need to you know raise that and improve that and you know those kind of things? Because I think that that's one of those areas that I love social media to death, but it's the easiest rut to get into, you know, especially with like low standards, you right. know, where it's like, oh, that got a couple of retweets, awesome. Is it? Maybe, maybe not. And that's what you have to actually stop and decide. Okay, wait a minute. What is going to be acceptable? to me moving forward. So to your point, for someone who's like, okay, I've been comfortable for far too long. How do I, where do I start? How do I get out of that comfort zone? You've got to raise your standards because the truth is we are all happy with where we are in life. I mean, if we weren't, we would do something about it, right? You know, it, it, we're happy with the home, the car, you know, all of those things because unless you have already been fed up enough that you're making those changes, you're listening to this right now. Yeah, you're content with it. You say you're not. You say I want to drive a Ferrari, not a Honda Civic, but if you're not working hard and doing the things that it takes to drive the Ferrari, then yeah, you know what? Your standards are set at
0: the Honda Civic. So, in other words, you're you're okay with it enough to not make the changes to get that thing or change this situation. That's right. Yeah. And
1: and that's what comes back to to the quote you shared, uh, you know that I said at the event, Everyone wants success, but few are willing to become successful. You know, everyone wants the big house and the nice cars and a boat or vacations or to work from home, you know, work from Starbucks. All, you know, everyone wants that, but yet they then turn around and they're accepting of the results that they're getting. And and that's where it has to, you know, that's where it has to change. You know, if you want to make $10,000 a month and you make seven, you can't be happy with seven. It still has to piss you off a little bit. And I don't care if you've never made more than $5,000 a month your entire life. And if your goal is 10, you can't celebrate seven. Hmm. you know I mean, yeah, you know, you're on your way. That's good. Yeah. You know, everything, everything's a progress, but you can't then relax and say, I just made $2,000 more this month than I've ever made, right? Because that's not going to – that
0: thought process isn't going to get you to 10, which was the goal. Yeah. What about somebody who – they're moving the needle. Their needle is moving towards, okay, I'm more and more uncomfortable, but they just can't get past the excuses or lack of motivation.
1: Mm. Well, that's a mindset issue right so if they're doing the physical things that need to be done you know they're putting in the work they're putting in the effort they're developing the right habits and behavior then you know they're they're still coming up with excuses and procrastinating then ultimately there's a few things that could be going on internally which is they're either afraid of being successful they may not think they deserve success Or it could be just something altogether sort of screwed up. So to break those down really quickly, I had this. For years, I was struggling. And the reason was I was afraid of being successful. And what happened, Eric, You know, I mentioned my dad before. Because my dad was successful but never home and missed out on my brother and I growing up, I equated success to that. That if I become successful, I'm not going to be a good husband. If I become successful, I'm not going to be there for my kids. You know, that that was my definition, right? That was my viewpoint. I didn't realize that for a long time, unfortunately. But when I did, I was able to make those changes. Another part is people think, you know, that they don't deserve success. You know, you drive down, you know, any, uh, you know, metropolitan, you know, city area and you see homeless people and you think, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, these poor people are, are struggling so much. And, and then, you know, you're thinking, gosh, I'm making this money and I'm, you know, got freedom and all that. And you think, you know, how is that fair? Right. And so all of a sudden you think that you don't deserve it, you know, or how dare you want that, you know, when someone else has less or whatever. Well, here's the thing that you have to understand. You making money doesn't take money away from someone else. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah I'm never going to I'm never going to be on a podcast and say, hey, guys, I used to make a lot of money. I don't anymore because Eric started making money. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: That's that's also very much everybody's view of like competition in in, in general in this space too. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, you, so no, no. You're,
0: you're you're exactly right, and, and it's like you know what are
1: what are you thinking there, right? God's not going to give you something that was meant for someone else. You're not going to you, you know you growing and taking care of you and your family does not you know hurt another person out there. It puts you in a position to actually make real change. To actually be able to help people in other ways. You know, that's the thing. You know, I know there's some quotes out there about, you know, the worst thing that you can do, you know, for poor people is to be one of them or, you know, or some, something to that effect. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, and I get what they're sort of saying with that. But that's the thing is a lot of times we just think that we don't deserve success. Man, it's a weird feeling when you start making more money than your parents did. That's a weird yeah. thing because it's like, wait a minute, what, you know, or then a sibling or just other people in your family or what, you know, your friends or, you know, those like there's this weird thing. I mean, I there have been times, Eric, where, you know, a friend of mine has called and been like, hey, how, the, how are things going? And I'm like, oh, man, it's horrible. I lost this deal and that deal, you know, really struggling right now. And my wife's looking at me like, what the heck are you talking about? But it's because I knew he was struggling and I didn't want to rub it in that I wasn't. You know, so I'm lying about my success to this guy to try to protect his feelings. But that's messing me up. Yeah. You you know what I'm saying? So that's the thing is we sometimes have to watch out for that of like, okay, are we afraid of success? Do we think that we deserve it And, and understand that? You do deserve it, you know, especially if you're adding value to people and, and putting in the work. You absolutely deserve it. Everyone deserves it and everyone can achieve it. Like you mentioned with the competition, <coughs> excuse me, is the thing about competition is that when you see someone else out there doing what you want to do and they're making great money at it, that's not a time to be jealous. That's a time to be thankful because it means you can do it. Right. You know, I get alarmed, Eric, when someone comes to me and says, I've got this brilliant idea. No one's ever done it. I'm like, <laughs> oh God, the the idea sucks then. <laughs> That's what there's a reason no one has ever yeah. done this. You, you know, they always think that they're like they're on to the next, you know, huge thing. And it's like, okay, stop thinking that way. I want to look out and say, Oh my goodness, there's a bajillion, you know, bloggers and authors and speakers who are making a ton of money. This is Awesome. Because if those idiots can do it, I can do it.
0: Yeah. It means the model works. You just need to find your niche That's right. Or whatever. That's exactly in right. You, you know, it's, it, and, and, and that's the,
1: the cool thing about like what you and I do in the space or sort of the circle, you know, that we sort of travel in is you get to meet the people who are doing this. You get to meet, you know, the Chris Brogans or Mitch Joel, Scott Stratton, you know, these people. And what you find out is, oh, these guys are normal. Yeah, you know, there there is no superpower <laughs> here. You know, I, I, all three of those guys are close, dear friends of mine, and they're amazing at what they do. None of them are brilliant or special. I'm going to tell just, said that. Yeah, yeah. Well, please, <laughs> please know. do. I know please they know. Do. <laughs> yeah. you know it, but it's it, it's you know. I, well, and I will say, maybe Mitch Joel is because that <laughs> dude thinks on a level that. Like he'll say something, and I'm just like, uh huh, and then I'm like, oh my god, I'm too dumb to understand what he just said. Uh, So Mitch Joel maybe is the exception (laughs) where he's too brilliant for this world. But you know, it's not that you know they're willing to do the work; they care about
0: others. That that's the that's the thing that's special about them. It's not that they're more deserving than anyone else. It's just that they've paid their dues by putting in the work. That's right. And and let me also just say they
1: continue to. Right. Uh, You know, I I talked to to Scott earlier this week and, you know, he's talking about, uh, uh, you know, you know, he does so much public speaking and he's talking about his presentation and he's going through like some slides he's taken out new stuff. He's added in different Like He is tweaking and working on it, even though it's still working. Mm. Right. He's still trying to get better, still trying to find a way to add more value to his audience's. And that's, that's the key, right? Like, let's just keep working. You don't get to that level and then say, okay, I'm good. You know, that, that's not the case. I mean, let's face it. You know, you take someone like Seth Godin, who's one of my favorite authors, especially in the business world or marketing world. And, you know, you, Seth has like, you know, what is it like, you know, 300 books or something he's written. Really, there's like four that you could read and get the gist of what this guy believes and his philosophy, Why has he written so many? Because he's still trying to perfect it. Still trying to perfect it. You know, I can look back at some of his last books from like Poke the Box to the Icarus Deception to uh, his latest called What to Do When It's Your Turn. And I can tell you right now that What to Do When It's Your Turn is like the accumulation of those other books. And I'm like, oh, this time he really got it right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. And, and with a it's bunch like, of know, linchpin thrown in there as well. Oh, yes, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, absolutely, linchpin for sure. Uh, so you see that progression, right? And so it's like, okay, he couldn't have written what to do when it's your turn had he not written those others. Mm. You, you see what I mean? So, yeah, like you, you mentioned before, just being willing to put in that work. And, and, and go with that. That's the, the thing that people just sort of need to get with and kind of you know go through. And um, you know, again, I don't want to sound like I've got this all figured out. There are still times when I feel like I'm sabotaging my own success. Listen, I, there's a lot of people that would trade seats with me, that they would. And I am ridiculously blessed. You and I talked about that before. So I, I get that. That being said, dude, I am pissed off that I'm not reaching some of my goals like absolutely mad about it, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know, even now I'm like, wait a minute, you know, why did that person get that speaking gig and not me? And wait a minute, I should be, you know, more well known than this person and that, you know, and it's like, okay, I got to back up a notch and say, it's not about me. (laughs) It's not about those things. I need to, you know, do some of this other stuff. So we we just have to watch for that because the, you know, and you and I sort of beat this to death here. But we are our own worst enemy, and I don't think that ever changes. You don't ever get to a point where you say, "Okay, whew, I made it. I beat myself. Now I'm good." Yeah, At least yes. I haven't. Maybe yeah. you do, but I haven't got there
0: yet. No, not me. And uh, I, I think what we're saying, as you say, we're beating it to death. But I, it's it's not beating it to death. It's 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 a grind in a good way. Yeah, where yeah. we are. Continuously working on, like you said with Seth, he's he's continually trying to perfect it. We are continually being worked on to perfection, and that and this is why I knew that you know talking about the whole the process of hey, it's not that John just decided to I'm gonna be work you know I'm gonna work from home and uh, everything's gonna be fine and I'm gonna make lots of money and it'll be cool and I'll be successful. No, you probably at some point didn't even think any of that was even a possibility. And just squeaked by and then started to make the incremental changes followed by you know pivot moments. There's probably points where you thought, oh, if I make this one change, it's going to have – it's not going to just be addition. It will be multiplication in terms of change. Oh,
1: you're exactly right. If you and I were having this conversation in you know, 2005, I'm talking about how I want to be the number one real estate team in Tennessee. Wow. You know, and that's my big goal. Obviously, that's not at all a goal today. Right? Yeah. You know, in fact, you know, it's like the more I learned how to do that and what it took, the more I was like, I don't really want to get there, um, you know, sort of thing. So you're exactly right. I would say if there's been one thing that I have been consistent on that has helped me, it is that I absolutely lack the ability to quit. And there's times I probably should have quit <laughs> There's times that, you know, I, I probably should have just, you know, gotten a job and, you know, said, what am I doing? And, you know, and all that. But I just I do not have that ability. Now, that leads to a lot of frustration because there's times you're like, OK, I don't want to quit, but I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you, you still don't know where to turn and, and all that. But when you talk about sort of those pivot moments, you're you're absolutely right. And. That's happened many, many times in my career and in life. But I think, like I said, the one underlying thing there is just simply I'm not going to give up on this. You know, I'm going to make it somehow. And, and, you know, the more I did start to believe that, OK, I'm here you know, on Earth to help others and, and, you know, help them. OK. Now, what does that look like? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and then it's been hard figure out what that looks like. But just having the peace of mind of knowing I really do like to help others, that's been cool.
0: Well, I see that we're actually pretty much near the end of our time. I want to close with something that uh, I was not aware of was going to be happening. But let me share something you said. Uh, Well, here's here's, to bring context. You were on – this was years ago, three, four years ago now. You were talking with Chris Brogan on not his current podcast, but the one before it, and uh, you were talking about depression and things like that. You were talking about you know being an entrepreneur, and uh, there was some kind of a spark suddenly where uh, I'm listening as I'm walking to work, and I think, man, I could uh, you know I forget the the exact thought steps, but all I know is is that as I was listening to you, the two of you talk, in my mind I said, yeah, I could never be an entrepreneur. I don't want to be like my dad, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Whoa, what box did I just open up?" And then I realized that it was because he was an entrepreneur. He had a, a hardwood home hardwood floor restoration and, and carpet cleaning service. And here's the thing: he was always home and, when he wasn't working, and when he was home, he wasn't home. Home. You know what I mean? Like mm. he was just not a great dad and everything. And so. Come back around to our conversation probably about five minutes ago where you're talking about being afraid of success and you mentioned your dad and how he was so successful but never home. And I realized – and this is kind of a pivot. I'm sharing this. This is one of those pivot moments for me. and, And so I'm saying, John, you've helped me realize something else. I've been afraid of success myself because I know what being unsuccessful looks like and yet he still wasn't home for his kids, even though he was home, mm. my dad. So what would success look like? Even more absence. But I know that to not be true, because I've seen it happen. I've seen, I've seen the truth. So you see what I'm saying? Like, y- Yeah, uh, absolutely. You, you, this, I'm just saying, ultimately, that conversation that I got to overhear on a podcast, there's the power of podcasting right there, that one, I overheard <laughs> the conversation between you and Chris that started that process of breaking that down, and then two, just now, this conversation that we're recording mm. literally right now, Meta, um, broke it down even more, and that's wow. awesome. Yeah, so man. Thank, and you. thank you, thank you. Well, gosh, thank you for sharing that. Like, <laughs>
1: you're gonna get me all teary-eyed. I know, it's, right? Dang it! it. It's, but it's you know, it, you know, and and here's here's the thing. Like, I you know, I mentioned that with my dad, and that's still. Like, my dad, like, he's a great granddad. You know, he's great with my kids. He's great with my brother's children. You know, he's awesome. But even today, you know, we live in the same town. I don't talk to him every week. I don't talk to him every month. You know what I mean? I see him on holidays, you know, things like that. Right. Like, it's, you know, and we have a, we're good. Like, you know, our relationship isn't, you know, like fighting or anything like that. But also, it's not what it should have been, not what it could have been, you know, those kind of things. And I'll tell you, man, I had a really emotional moment. My son, you know, goes to this uh, sort of like mom's day out kind of homeschool program uh, once a week. And they had him, you know, fill out these little questionnaires. And, he, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he wrote, you know, work on the computer like daddy. And all I could think is when I was a kid, never once did I dream of I want to do what my dad does. You know, or I want to work with him, or yeah. you know what I mean? Like just the opposite. <laughs> you know, like you wasn't yeah. on the radar. And you know, I thought, okay, you know what? I may not make as much money. I may not hit some of those kind of goals, but what's really important, I'm hitting. You know what I mean? Like I saw my kids' first steps. They, you know, aren't afraid of me. They love hanging out with me. Like the, like, what's truly I'm trying to achieve in life. It's like, oh, okay. You know, It may take me longer to hit my you know, ultimate financial goal, but if in the meantime it means that my kids know who I am, I'm cool with waiting.
0: Amen. It's a great place to land. Let's stop there. John, where can people find you online? They can go to johnmichaelmorgan.com
1: and find everything and anything they would want to know about me.
0: Go check it out. Michael, if you were – Michael, jeez. There you go. There's the middle name. Uh, John. (laughs) I love it. If you were here, I'd give you a hug. So digital hug and uh, digital hug to you, the listener. Thanks for being on the show. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. People ask me all the time, so what have been some of your favorite episodes? This is in there. This is top five, maybe top three. That's no slight to anybody else I've had a conversation with on this podcast, but this one impacted me in a way that I couldn't have designed, and that's great. I hope you let John know that you appreciated his insights and sharing of his experiences on this episode. Go check him out at johnmichaelmorgan.com. You can find all the ways to contact him there. Let me know how you liked this episode. Go leave a comment. Beyond the com slash ninety-nine. And make sure to go check out my sponsor for this episode, Doodle, by going to beyond the com slash doodle. Get started, scheduling without pain, your one-on-one and group meetings. Thanks again for listening. If you appreciated this episode and you'd never given a rating or review on iTunes, go to beyondthetodolist.com dot com slash iTunes. Show the show some love. Or me that's the best way to do it. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next episode.